Hello, hello, and welcome to My Tennis Journey, where we aim to bring compelling tennis stories to life. As you're listening today, it'd be amazing if you could hit subscribe or follow. It's free, you know. Now, a little while ago, the ever-so-respected coach Mark Tennant gave us his top five tips for tennis parents. And the reaction to it was really positive. Indeed, a coach came up to me at a tournament that I'd never met before and said he'd sent the episode on to all his tennis parents. It went down so well that I figured it might be cool to make it into a little series. And that's what we're going to do. Tips to tennis parents really is the specialist subject of today's guest. Lisa Stone is a tennis parent, a tennis broadcaster, and the person behind the ACE podcast called Parenting Aces, whose slogan is for tennis parents by a tennis parent. So who better to deliver our next top five tips for tennis parents than Lisa Stone. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here and fun to be on this side of the microphone for once. Come on, it's brilliant to see you. I mean, you must start by telling us where you are in the world, Lisa. Well, at the moment, I am sitting at my desk in Southern California in the States. And as we were talking offline, it's a little chilly here today, which is a bit atypical for this time of year. But hey, no complaints. Lisa, as I just told you, I've just been out playing in the pouring rain. I would take that Californian weather any day. <laughs> now, now, sure. how, how did you get it? I mean, you've become you know, a world expert on tennis parents. It's a, it's a very, you know, it's a specialist subject for you. How did you decide? How did you get involved in this world? It's a crazy story. So I grew up in a tennis family, grew up playing myself. I wasn't a great player by any stretch of the imagination. And in fact, gave up the game um, when I was about 15 or 16 years old, didn't pick up a racket for close to 20 years and finally came, came back to tennis when my kids got old enough to start taking tennis lessons. My youngest child, who is my one son, uh, fell in love with the game and became very focused on being the best tennis player he could be, wanted to play top level college tennis here in the States, didn't really have aspirations to be a professional player, but had the goal of, of being a top co collegiate player here in the U.S. And so I, of course, as his mom, wanted to do everything I could do to help him achieve that goal. So I started talking to his coach and to other parents at tournaments, you know, trying to figure it all out. Like, what tournaments should we be going to? What should he be doing? What should I be doing? Is there any sort of special equipment or other training he needs to be doing? And I really couldn't get answers to my questions that were specific and pointed in order for me to help him. And I got very lucky. I stumbled on a Facebook group of all things of former junior tennis champions. And these are people that were, you know, top 10 in their respective countries in junior tennis, um, playing on the world stage. Many of them went on to professional careers. Most of them went on to stellar collegiate careers. And I started asking questions in that Facebook group and getting amazing advice and 
one of the people that was answering my question said, hey, Lisa, if you have these questions, don't you think there are a bunch of other tennis parents out there that need the same information? Why don't you start a website? I was like, okay, I know how to do that. All right, I'll build a website and start putting this info up. And so parentingaces.com started really as a way for me to document my journey with my son. And I would write about his daily drills, private lessons, um, how school was interfering, and I'm using air quotes here for those of you listening, um, interfering with his ability to get more tennis in. We would, I would write about our adventures at tournaments, um, things like being stuck on the alternate list because his ranking would be, you know, he would be on that, in that bubble on the cusp of getting into the next level events. I wrote about when to age up, um, some of the struggles he was having dealing with emotional issues on the court. And I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And several months in to running parentingaces.com, I got invited to host what was then called a radio show for tennis parents. Now we call it a podcast. And um, I was part of a network of tennis podcasts, but my show obviously was devoted to the parent side of things. And that grew into the Parenting Aces podcast that we know now. And now we're part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, which is super cool. It gives us a, a much bigger reach. And, you know, we've grown in, in downloads, we've grown in audience. And um, yeah, so it's, it's now become kind of a movement. And as my role has changed, because my tennis playing son is now a 25-year-old grown man out in the world, my role has changed, right? So first I was writing about my experience as a parent. Then I started kind of, you know, when he was going through college recruiting, I, I wrote a lot about the college process and kind of focused on that. And then once he stopped playing tennis, which he has done, I kind of struggled, you know, what's my role now? My, I, I'm no longer an active tennis parent. I'm not on the ground at tournaments anymore, but I can still advise parents and talk to them about the things that I did well and the things that I did really poorly. And I've tried to be very honest about my experience in the sport and the things that I think are great and the things that need some work. Um, we now have a pretty, pretty wide social media presence. We have a Facebook page, but we also have two separate Facebook groups, one for tennis parents only and then one that's open to coaches, industry people, parents, whoever wants to join. We also have a Twitter following and an Instagram following where I'll do, if I am at a tournament now, I'll do live interviews with players, with parents, with coaches, and really try to bring different perspectives to the whole experience. Well, it's fantastic. And I think that the thing, you know, speaking as a tennis parent, is that all tennis parents need help? You know, they, sure. they may not, they may not even admit it, they may not even know it, but all tennis parents need help because being a tennis parent can be a challenging, stressful position to be in at times. And you know, looking at the sort of the experience you've got, the guests that you've had, you know, the people that you've spoken to, this is why I cannot wait, Lisa, for your top five tips, because I'm guessing over the past however many years. You've dispensed thousands of tips. You've dispensed sure. you know, thousands of conversations. So, you know, I, we've got it down to five today. I'm sure there could have been a lot more. 
Well, I had a hard time narrowing it down. And, and it's interesting. One of the things that I kind of pivoted toward in the last two years is doing one-on-one consults with parents and having those conversations. Because as you well know, Rob, sometimes parents just need validation that they're on the right path, right? That they're doing things the best way they know how. And the challenge with junior tennis is there's no one right pathway for every single child. There's not even one right pathway for every family. If you have multiple children playing, what works for one kid may not work for another kid in your household. So I think one of the amazing things about the individual consultations is that, as you say, every tennis family's journey is different. And, you know, when you've got children who are doing multi-sports, the solutions are going to be very different to if it's a child who's specializing in tennis and tennis alone. And so every family's journey is different. And so, yeah, I, I can't wait for these top five tips. And one of the things I love about today's top five tips is it's going to be a chart rundown from number five <laughs> to number one, I believe, which I'm very excited about, Lisa. So you must tell us what goes in at number five. So number five on my top five tips for tennis parents is as the mom or dad of the player, help your child remember why they started playing tennis and fell in love with it. And you need to have this conversation on a regular basis. And the reason I put this in is I was at a tournament last summer and had the opportunity to interview the the eventual winner of the tournament. And this was a young woman who had been playing competitively since a very young age. She travels the world playing tennis. And I asked her in the interview, why do you love tennis? And she looked at me with this expression of gratefulness and wonderment and said, thank you so much for asking me that. (laughs) I forget a lot of times why I'm doing this. It's become such a grind and, you know, I'm traveling all the time. It's exhausting. It's stressful and Thank you for making me stop and remember why I love the sport. So parents, if you can ask that question of your child, obviously not every day, not every week, maybe not even every month, but calendar it, ask them once a quarter. Why do you love tennis? Love it. Why did you tell us, Lisa, what did she say? Why did I didn't need to know the end to this story? Why? She said she loved being out there and testing herself and seeing what she was capable of. So got to love that answer. Love it. It's a great answer. And it is one of those things as well, isn't it? That just make sure whatever you do makes you happy. You know, exactly. If you're spending a lot of time playing tennis and it's not making you happy. Well, you know, we're all going to have our moments, aren't we? But yeah, it's such a good question to say. Right. Why do you like? Why do you love this game? Yeah, well, that one is that one's on my list, and and I think it's something that that is so important because also if if there is a player who really isn't enjoying the game, then having a break from the game might be the right thing to do because you know such a f- small percentage are going to go on and become professionals, aren't they? So if you're dedicating all this time to it and it's not making you happy, well. Exactly. And, and honestly, 
that was going to be one of my top five is that it's okay for your child to take a break from playing, but I had to kick it for my other four (laughs) since you (laughs) limited me to five, but, but we'll just throw that in as a bonus. It's okay for your child to take a break from tennis when they need it. They may come back bigger and better and stronger and more committed than ever. So don't freak out if they ask you for a break. Lisa, I love it. I love how our top fives already become a top six. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I'm a rebel. What can I say? Great one. It's a great one. Well, thank you. Great start with number five. Um, what about number four? Number four is parents. You are an integral part of your child's tennis team. So educate yourself ask questions, and keep the lines of communication open with your child and with your child's coach or coaches. Key, key, you have got to ask the questions because as most of us know, coaches aren't the best communicators typically with parents. They do an awesome job with the players that they're working with, but sometimes they forget to communicate with us. And so sometimes we need to be kind of the catalyst, the one that pushes that line of communication. And it is well within your rights as the person who is paying for the lessons, driving the kid to and from practice and to the tournaments to ask the questions that you need answered. Yeah. And, and it's all, we got a lot of coaches listening actually. So, you know, this one's a great, a great just signal reminder to the coaches to keep those communications line because the parent, more than anything else, you know, from the moment that child's been born, they love that child. They want the best for that child. They don't want that child to be hurt. They want them to be happy, et cetera, et cetera. And that can drive certain behaviors. If you don't know what's going on, have the conversations with the parents. It, it, it's so important, isn't it? Absolutely. Mm, very good. Very good. Come on. Number three, we're moving up the hit parade. Where are we at with number three? Number three, don't focus on results. Yes. (laughs) That is the result I want. (laughs) I know. And I'm sure every single person that you have do this parenting top five is going to have that as part of their top five because it's crucial, right? What parents need to focus on is helping the child get 1% better each time they work on their tennis, whether that's going on the court, whether that's in the gym, whether that's watching tennis on TV, whether that's reading a book, whatever it is, if the child puts in the work, the ratings and the rankings are going to take care of themselves. Yeah, it's a brilliant one. I love this one because it's like, I don't know what it's like over in the States, but if a child comes off a sporting field, sporting pitch, sporting court here, and anybody says to them, how did you get on? Yeah. The child says, I won or I lost. Shuts down too, though, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, and, they, and it's how they're quantifying whether they've done really well or really badly. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, they could have been playing, you know, a, a young Serena Williams. They could have been coming up against the best soccer team in, in the land. The result yeah. you can't control. You can right. control your attitude. You can control your effort. You can't control the results. Yet, I think it's, I mean, I can't wait for number two and one because this is, it's such an important one. Parents, the result is not important. The other factors of attitude, effort, etc. find things that the child, the player can control. Right. 
Absolutely. Come on. Well, such a good one. Um, we've had five, we've had four, we've had three. What's gone in at number two? Ask your child on a regular basis what their tennis goals are and what they are doing and willing to do to achieve those goals. Then really listen to what they tell you. And think about, is the goal coming from them? Is it their goal? Or is it what they think you want their goal to be? And keep, keep the line of communication open around that one. Consider me educated because it's really interesting. Like, I, you know, a light bulb's just gone on for me here because on a number of my podcasts, I've talked about that I speak to the parents about what their goals for the child are with their tennis. You know, often it's get away from the PlayStation, get away from the, the digital world they inhabit. But what I haven't spoken about is asking the child what, what their goals are. And that's, and can you, yeah, tell us a bit more about that one, Lisa. Well, sure. So I think it's a lot of times kids get to a place where they see their parents react in a certain way when they win or when they get on the top court at a drill group or they start kind of mentioning college tennis as something they might be interested in or playing professionally as something they might be interested in. And they gauge the parent's response and then start playing for that response as opposed to playing for reasons in their heart and things that really drive them and make them happy. As we talked about with point number five, you know, reminding your child why, why they love the sport, why they started playing in the first place. So if the goal is the parent's goal, as opposed to the child's goal, then the joy goes out of it a lot of times. And it's really important, I think, and especially as the kids get older and start having competing interests, whether those are social interests, academic interests, whatever they are, other sports, that the goals that the child sets for themselves are front and center. And then you can hold the child accountable to those goals because the goals have come from them and you can help them understand what it's going to take to achieve those goals and then ask them to commit to that. Because we all know tennis is expensive. Developing a tennis player to a top level costs a lot of money and it costs a lot of time. So we want to make sure that the kids are working towards something that means something to them. And that they're committing to what it takes to achieve that goal. I love it. And it, it's, I'm writing notes down here. This is great. <laughs> Even though I can listen to, I don't know why I'm doing that. I mean, we can <laughs> I'm writing notes because I feel like I'm being educated here. Um, out of interest, from an age, is there, a, I mean, I know different children will mature at different ages, but is there a kind of age bracket where these conversation about what the child's objectives can start? I think they start, you know, very young. I mean, for example, my son went to a summer camp at the University of Georgia when he was nine years old. He came back from that camp saying, I want to play college tennis and I want to play at University of Georgia for coach Manny Diaz. That's my goal. So he was nine years old. 
So at that point, you know, it, it was a stated goal. Now the job was, let's find out what it's going to take for you to achieve that. And let's check in periodically between now and the time you graduate from high school to ensure that you're still wanting that same thing and yeah. that you're still committed to achieving that same goal. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't think you can put an age on it. Listen, my son is my youngest of three children. Um, he wasn't particularly mature at nine years old. I mean, he was average maturity wise at nine. So I don't think it really has anything to do with anything other than ensuring that you as the parent listen and respect what the child says, and then hold them accountable for that. And I'm not saying, you know, you yell at them if they're not doing everything every day that they're supposed to do to get to that goal. But what I'm saying is you need to make sure they understand how realistic the goal is based on the work effort and the commitment that they're willing to put into it. And then you have to support that if you can. And if you can't, hopefully you're able to find people who can support it. And, you know, again, I, if it's the child's goal, the child is intrinsically motivated to work hard to achieve it. Yeah. If it's the parent's goal, sometimes that intrinsic motivation just isn't there. Sometimes it is. And, and again, this is what makes our sport so complicated, right? There's no one size fits all with tennis. But I think as parents, we know our children best. And it's important to communicate, communicate, communicate. Yeah, I think it's, it's such a good one. And it's a really interesting one. And, and out of interest, like with your son, did that goal, like develop and change as he, as he got sure. older, you know? Yeah. So the checking in is important on a regular basis. Yeah. So, I mean, for him, the goal remained the same, uh, that he wanted to play collegiate tennis, but there came a point where he realized that he was not going to play at a top division one school. He wasn't at that level and he wasn't going to work to get to that level. And, but he still achieved the goal of playing division one tennis that remained the goal the whole way. But what we learned through the process was there are a lot of different levels of division one tennis here in the States. And there were plenty of schools that wanted him that were division one and he found the fit. So, you know, kudos to him um, for sticking with it and for realizing I would. So, so kind of to back up a little bit, there was a point where I think I realized he wasn't on track to play at University of Georgia. And I was talking with other parents and coaches and saying, you know, what do I do? I, I have this feeling that this goal isn't attainable for him. Do I say something? Do we talk about it? Like, how do I handle that? And everybody told me, and thankfully they told me, you don't need to say a word. Your son is going to realize at some point where his level fits. Yeah. It's not going to come from you telling him. It's not going to come from a coach telling him he's going to go to these matches. He's going to play in these tournaments and it's the light bulb's going to go on for him. 
And that's exactly what happened. I think it, I think it's it's you know, I mean, just in terms of great advice, it's something I'm going to speak to all three of all three of our children play tennis, and it's uh, one of them actually a while ago did tell me what his goal for tennis was, and and I said, oh, that's brilliant, but I've never then followed it up and said, you know, that if this is your goal, then this is what you need mm-hmm. to do, and, and we can work with it and see if you're moving towards that goal. But it's a fascinating one in that, you know, I speak to parents about what they would like their children to achieve. I don't speak to that parent. And that's the education bit for me and say, have you chatted to your little Johnny about what it is that they would like to achieve through the game? And I I think that in terms of advice, it's just great. So I'm on it. I'm on it. Good sorted me out I've become a better tennis parent and hopefully a better tennis coach I'm very excited to find out what number one is number one be the parent first and foremost the goal of the junior tennis journey should be to have a great relationship with your kid at the end of the day that's it that's the goal from your side your kid may have all these tennis related goals your goal as the tennis parent is to have a great relationship with your kid. Period. That, that is, that's just sums it up, doesn't it? It almost sums up all of them. It all, yeah. I mean, if, if there was thousands and thousands of tips that have come out through the years from being, you know, the, the expert in this field, if you can come out of your tennis journey with your child and have a great relationship, and they they love that goal. They still love the game, perhaps, but you've had you've still got that great relationship. Then that is the that's the most important thing. And the flip side of that is that the dynamic of being a tennis parent, if if it isn't a healthy kind of relationship, it can it can put that in jeopardy. For sure. And we've seen it happen, right? We've all read the stories of that happening between parents and kids. So don't don't be a casualty of that. Remember to put the parent hat on first and and everything else is secondary. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, I mean, just brilliant. Thank you so much, Lisa. Um, there's, I just want to actually, I'm just going to, turn it off now because I want to re-listen and, and learn from the uh, from the guidance but uh, there's a few things we got to do first but thank you so so much I mean I think that, that it, it is a subject which parents want to be the best tennis parent they can they go you know there's an awareness level with parents that, that it can be challenging if people want what's the best place to go Lisa if they do want to find out more about about Parenting Aces and the services that you offer? The best place is our website, parentingaces.com. And it's easy peasy, just uh, click and we've got links to all sorts of information there. We've got over 10 years worth of content, podcasts, um, interviews, all kinds of things on the website. And also, as I mentioned, the consults, if parents would like to schedule a one-on-one consultation with me, they can do that through the shop tab uh, on the website. But also please follow us on our socials. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Parenting Aces. So very easy to find us and we'd love to interact. 
Oh, man. Well, thank you so much. I mean, there's a question that, uh, which we ask every guest which, who come on to the show. The question is, if you could go for a drink with anyone alive or dead, who would it be and why? That's such a tough question because um, I have a lot of answers. Um, there's like the political side of me that has the political answer and there's the feminist side of me that has that answer. But since this is a tennis podcast, I'm going to go with Rafael Nadal because I am such a huge fan of his. I have been following his career since very early on. I use him as kind of the standard bearer when I'm talking with parents about how their children should approach the game and the respect they should have for the game. So yeah, I'd love to sit down with Rafa. Vamos, as they say, vamos. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we, we love Rafa so much in our household that, you know, we've, we've named our dog Rafa. There had to be a vote actually between Rafa and Roger. And I'm really pleased that Rafa won the family vote because it just well seems, done. It seems a bit weird to be shouting Roger across the field. When you <laughs> compared to Rafa, I think Rafa, he's a Rafa. When you see our dog, he's definitely a Rafa. But yeah, I mean, I would love, I would just love to spend a day with Rafa. And like, not just on the tennis, but it's, it's his no. humility, isn't it? It's, it's right. the way he is about it, the way he reacts to any given situation. I mean, what, what are the things you love the most about Rafa when you, when you use him as an example, Lisa? Well, it's mostly the fact that he keeps it in perspective, right? When he wins, it was just a tennis match. When he loses, it was just a tennis match, right? There's just no difference. And I think that's such a great mindset that, you know, we look at him and we think, oh, well, you know, he just, he's something special. You know, he was born with that. But no, if you if you listen to him speak about it and you listen to his uncle Tony speak about it, this was something that was taught and really drilled into him from a very early age that tennis is a gift that Rafa was offered. And the moment he stops respecting that gift is the moment it gets taken away from him. And I just... I just love that. And I, his humility, of course, I mean, is amazing. Um, his dedication to continuing to improve even, you know, well into his thirties. Now he's every time we see him compete, there's something new about his game, something improved about his game. So I think all of those things, of course, are, are things to hold up as standards for, for children to us to strive for, but it's, it's mostly his ability to go on the court, do his work, and then put it in the bag, walk off the court and get on with his day. I love that. I love that. And of course he's going to hurt like anyone else, but what I love the most is that, you know, we invited you on to do the five top tips for tennis parents. And we've ended up with seven because if you win, it's just a tennis match. If you lose, it's just a tennis match. That's it. And, oh. and honestly, I play league tennis here in Southern California and I don't know how women's league tennis is in the UK, but there are parts of the U S where you would think you were on the court at Wimbledon. And every time I'm across the net from somebody who starts throwing the racket and yelling and getting upset, I say to them, Hey, it's Tuesday morning and it's a beautiful day and we're hitting tennis balls. Like let's just have fun out here. 
Let's just have fun out here. Well, I love it, Lisa. It's, um, it's been so brilliant to chat. Thank you so much for your time. We'll make sure we put all the links on on the, to, to the website and the podcast, et cetera, you know, thank so who's interested can find it. But thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rob. It was a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, yeah, we'll have to get you on the Parenting Aces podcast next. Well, I would, I would absolutely love to do that, but don't expect the amount of wisdom that you've given to me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you Lisa. thank you that's all for today but thank you very much for listening and if you enjoyed that please do hit the subscribe or follow button so you keep up to date with new episodes and we look forward to welcoming you back to my tennis journey very soon